Ladies and gentlemen, if you like the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head over to patreon.com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards if you donate to the show. For just $1 a month, you'll get a bonus mini episode of the show every Monday in your inbox, as well as access to all past mini episodes. These episodes will never be available on iTunes or smugfilm.com or anywhere else. The only way to hear them is by donating $1 a month through patreon.com slash smugfilm. For $5 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Whether you want us to plug your website, your movie, your small business, your Twitter handle, whatever it is, we'll plug it. For $10 a month, you get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on every single episode of the show. That's four episodes a month. It's an incredible deal. So once again, that URL is patreon.com slash smugfilm. Head on over there today, and we look forward to your kind donation. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Sup, sup. And everybody's favorite, Carl. Carl Guy. Yeah. Carl Guy is definitely my favorite Carl. How did I not get that right? <laughs> Carl That's Gar- a good Carl, man. Carl. <laughs> Carl Hi, Garcia. Carl Garcia. Live via Skype. Carl Garcia. Hi. Hi. Carl trapped in a thresher. Yeah. <laughs> My mouth didn't cooperate right there. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you're you're our favorite Carl. I don't know about everybody's favorite Carl, but I would assume everybody's favorite Carl, right, Carl? I don't know. I I gotta knock that Bernstein guy off the list. Marks too is creeping up on you. What about uh Carl Carl Winslow? From uh, Family Matters. Come on. Oh. You don't remember Family Matters? You named Carl and you don't know Carl Winslow? I saw a couple when I was a kid, but not really. He's the dad. He's, uh, what's his name? Like Reginald Val Johnson? Oh, yeah. okay. That guy. Yeah, that, that's Carl. What about Carl Weathers? Carl Weathers. Actually, Carl Weathers is probably my favorite Carl. That's a good Carl. Oh, that's what top shelf Sagan? Carl. Carl Sagan, Sagan, also good. Carl wasn't Sagan, in Rocky, yeah. though, even though I contend there was a place for him in it. Yeah. Just wasn't in it. And uh, Carl from uh, The Simpsons. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's a good Carl, too. Underrated okay. Carl. He is an underrated Carl. The whole Moe's gang. Yeah. Underrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially uh, Joey Jojo. Oh, Joey Jojo Jr. Shabadoo? <laughs> yeah. Peace what? to Joey Jojo. Sorry there, Carl. What were you saying? The one guy with the hat who never talks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the crumpled hat. Yeah, yeah, that guy's good. He is good. And he's got glasses too, right? I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I bet he's got a name and we just don't know it. Ooh, we should look that up. Oh, he's got he's got a season 27 episode all to himself. You know His it. name is probably Homer <laughs> Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Carl is here today and John is here today and I am here today because uh, we're going to talk about Casablanca. Is it Blanca or Blanca? Blanca. It's Blanca. See, it throws me off because Street Fighter Blanca is spelled B-L-A-N-K-A, but it's Blanca, and Casablanca is B-L-A-N-C-A, and that's Blanca. It seems like one should be different, right? I don't know what to tell you, man. So you're just going to leave me hanging, wondering? I'll be honest, I never really played Street Fighter. Really? If this was about Mortal Kombat, I could probably jump in and be like, well, you know... 
Mortal Kombat man and drop a fact, but who's who is your Mortal Kombat man? I liked uh, Scorpion. Scorpion's good, yeah. He wasn't that good, but I just liked his face. It's a good and face. like his coloring. It's a good, yeah. It's Sub Zero, but he yellow. Had the, he had the good name. Scorpion's a good name. So I always lost because I always wanted to be Scorpion because I was like, well, he has the coolest name. He's got to be the toughest, and he like was terrible. Yeah, but I stuck with him for the entire course of my life because it really is a cool name. How about you, Carl? I barely played Street Fighter. We're talking about Mortal Kombat. Keep up there, guy. I don't know which one. Sub-Zero. There we go. Sub-Zero, yeah. I would go with Sub-Zero. I like the blue rather than the yellow. I hate to break it to you, John, but I like the the blue version of that suit. Sub-Zero was good, too, but his name wasn't as cool. Yeah. It was like a Batman villain name. Scorpion's (laughs) like, you know, he's coming at you. He's a scorpion. Or the name of an underrated Batman animated film, Sub-Zero which came after Mask of Phantasm, but got buried because Batman and Robin did so poorly at the box office that they shelved the animated uh, movie that had nothing to do with it simply because it had Mr. Freeze in it. Is Sub-Zero Mr. Freeze's accountant? No, it's a, it's a, I don't know. It's just, refer, it's a reference to him and his coldness. Who is Mr. <laughs> Freeze? Mr. Come on, you're pulling X-Men on Mr. me. Mr. Freeze, <laughs> Uh, that was a reference to something that wasn't on the podcast. <laughs> I have this thing where um, sometimes if I'm get if I get bored, I'll just tell people I don't know who the X Men are. <laughs> and like, if you can do it with enough conviction, after maybe five minutes, people start to believe you don't know who the X Men are, and then they have to start laboriously describing all the X Men, which is very funny to hear people do, especially if you if they don't lead with it's a comic book. So you can kind of respond to them like they're real people. Right. <laughs> I get you a lot out do. of this. If you're bored, just just straight face at a bar, just say, I have no idea who the X-Men are. I've never heard of this thing. But you really Probably have to commit. The same with Pokemon. Oh, yeah. It could yeah. work with Pokemon. I thought the plural of Pokemon was Pokemon until like two years ago. So I actually probably could do that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I never played that. And then I, I something came up and I said, look at the Pokemon. And someone was like, that's not... <laughs> you gotta hear you cretin <laughs> alright so Casablanca as we have uh, come to the conclusion is the pronunciation you know I still have my doubts because I feel like one should be different it shouldn't be that Blanca and Casablanca are the exact same pronunciation they're spelled different one's got a K one's got a C there must be a slight difference there in the pronunciation but whatever well one's a real word and one was a word invented by uh, who owns Street Fighter? I don't know. Uh, Carl, who owns Street Fighter? Is it mi- Carl <laughs> Weathers? Drink some That's water, Carl there, Weathers guy. Enterprise. Who owns Street Fighter? Everybody, drink some water before you say who who owns Street Fighter again. <laughs> uh, I I think Midway, or is that a That's a race Mortal thing. Kombat. That's a racetrack. <laughs> uh, this is all gonna be cut. <laughs> okay, Casablanca. I finally saw it. I haven't seen it. Well, I, I I hadn't seen it. <laughs> I got to get my tenses correct for this episode. I had not seen Casablanca. Let's be clear of the situation, though. You ran a film review website That's where you me. gave your opinions about movies with the air of authority uh, for how many years? Maybe four years yeah. without ever having seen Casablanca. Yeah, good three or four years. Ever having deigned to see it. Mm. And one of your favorite movies is Woody Allen's Play It Again, Sam, yeah. uh-huh. which is heavily based on Casablanca and constantly references it mm. and somehow never deigned to 
to pick up this incredibly easily available film that's on TV at least once a month on TCM. Mm. How did you not get disbarred from the like film critics association? You know, Do they, we have an association that can level charges? I don't know that they're aware of me. Can they throw the book at you? <laughs> and can it be Leonard Malton's movie guide? Ooh, that would be a heavy book <laughs> to get thrown at. Or, or one of the video hound. Oh, yeah. They're going to throw the video. Actually, the video hound guide would be like, ironically into not watching Casablanca. It would kind of like flop through the air because it's big and it's heavy, but it's like, you know, it's paperback and it's, it's, it flops. It's like a phone book, you know? You know what they could do? They could put the phone, the phone book sized video hound on my stomach and they could punch it and then it won't leave a mark. <laughs> that could be what they do to me. I really want to see one of those like police interrogation scenes where they do that, but with the video hound guy. Yeah. And they never bring it up. It's <laughs> just right. like a straight, like an episode of The Wire or The Shield, but they never bring up that it's the video hound guy. Or them taping it to uh, Omar's chest when he's in. <laughs> He's going into like, prison. Uh, like cruising when they have that interrogation scene and they just send in like a random naked guy to go slap the dude and then the <laughs> naked guy just leaves. <laughs> that's all you see of him. That, that's probably the best part of that movie. Uh, so is it is it Casablanca or Casablanca? Oh my God. This is going to be the topic of the whole episode. I'm more interested in the pronunciation than the movie, Case to be honest. Blocks. No, but I, I really did enjoy Case it. Idea. I, I loved it. Uh, I thought it was a very good film. <laughs> I'll go on record as saying uh, Casablanca is a good movie. Do you understand why everybody is was so vexed to learn that you hadn't made time? I didn't at the beginning because it opens and it kind of throws you for a loop because you don't know what you're getting into exactly with the, you know, the spinning world, the globe <coughs> thing. And then the, the way that it opens up on the street, just that street set is kind of hokey. Uh, but once they get to the bar and like halfway through that bar scene, you just fucking glued from start to finish. Like I, w- I was in it, you know? Yeah, it has that slow start that uh, Citizen Kane also has that. Mm. But I actually think Citizen Kane has it way worse because that news on the march thing goes on for like 20 minutes and you get it like yeah. five. But that opening, that opening like dissolve in Citizen Kane, well, series of dissolves. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. That's some Castle of the Blanca best. doesn't have anything like that. No. The closest it has is the uh, little bit with the pickpocket, which is the first iconic moment in Casablanca. But like you kind of forget about it because, yeah, the spinning globe thing is a little like, all right, what are we what are we doing here? And the narration's a little like, okay, I'll uh, roll with this. And the guy getting shot, apparently the only direction for that uh, getting shot was Michael Curtis said, uh, just go out there and fucking die. (laughs) (laughs) This is Michael Curtiz and Leonic, you know, that's what he did. That stuff maybe was a little, that's the only part of the movie where you can feel like it was like a programmer. Yeah. Well, it kind of needed another pass or a reshooter. If it was going to be like a little bit better, it could have. But that's the part that I think is truest to the movie that everyone expected it to be. And it was made to be. It really all should have been the first five minutes where it's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a little fun, a little silly, kind of dated But then something fucking happens. It just gets really good. Yeah. It's just this weird alchemy. Carl, uh, you you a fan of the Casablanca? Yeah. uh, I got called in to fill in on this episode, so I haven't seen it in quite a while, but it's great. Um, Breaking kayfabe. What is that? Am I the only one who knows what kayfabe is? Somebody at home is laughing. 
That's in wrestling when you reference things outside of the rest the wrestling oh, universe. Okay. <laughs> it's when you 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 know you you let them. It's like breaking the fourth wall, basically. Okay. I reference a lot of things outside of the wrestling universe. <laughs> You're breaking kayfabe left and right. I don't think anybody's going to stop me on that either. 99% of your existence <laughs> is you breaking kayfabe. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, Carl, you I was going to say, I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. But, like, building off of what John said, where it's kind of just like you expect it to be that first five minutes that kind of just thrown together studio factory product and then it just comes out amazing. That's what it's always interesting to me that there's like that. Uh, it's, it's kind of an attitude within the industry of like, oh, we're not making Casablanca here. And it's like, but you are. Ooh. It was the product of a bunch of people who just showed up and did their job. Mm. Man, so, holy yeah. shit. You and just like that, crushed like a ton of people right then. You just crushed great. like 70 years of people. <laughs> I, I when I hear it, it's usually Citizen Kane. They say, but I've heard Casablanca too, and it, yep. it gets said enough that it shows up in like BoJack Horseman and stuff. Like it's a pretty common sentiment. Showing up in BoJack Horseman is the the testament for it to it coming up a lot. I would say yeah. that it even shows up in that Netflix show I have not watched. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's true, and that's a that's a damn good point for a fill-in guest. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't prepared for a... Uh, You'll eat tonight. Yeah, that's a, that, that was kind of the line of the night. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know that we could top that necessarily. <laughs> but uh, yes, Casablanca is good. Uh, I should reiterate that again because that's part of my, my penance for not seeing it, I think. And, you know, Humphrey Bogart, amazing. Yes, wonderful. But every fucking little side character is incredible, oh. too. Like, I'll, Oh, it's like the miracle of side characters. Yeah, if you yeah. like side characters, this is your movie. Part of this is what we were talking about uh, the last one, though, about how they don't value writers the way they used to anymore. Yeah. I mean, this is what happens when you value writers. When you're in an era that values writers, you get side characters like that. Mm. You know, you get... And also, like, this is like a pre... Uh, save the cat kind of storytelling. Right. Yeah. Like, if this script came out now... Which the, the script writing in the movie was so interesting, too, because it underwent so many revisions from so many different people who brought so much to it, constantly fighting with these different visions of it. But, like, if it came out now, there would be this big push, I think, to focus more on Rick, to give more of Rick's backstory, like, earlier. So yeah, like, what did more, he do? Yeah. What, what was it that he did? Like, I think they would be afraid now to have him be kind of as shitty a guy as he is in the first half, like stuff like where he, um, where he's at the casino table and he lets the woman win would probably be like the first scene of Rick. If right. they did it now. Yeah. You know, like that's how you would meet him. <laughs> You'd have to establish him right away. Yeah. Yeah. And they would probably do what, um, actually there was a memo in 41 that they almost did. They almost had Sam be a woman. The, uh, what? Yeah, one of the producers, what happened was he had just gone to see a, Lorn, a Lena Horne show, and he was like, well, I guess Lena Horne's really good. Well, can you blame him? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like looking for any place in the world to put Lena Horne, which again, I can't blame him. So he sends this memo where he's like, what if we make Sam either Lena Horne or Ella Fitzgerald? <laughs> which is a totally different movie, and they're both so good, but like, how are you going to have Humphrey Bogart upset that he doesn't have this woman and like crying on Lena Horne's shoulder yeah. about it. You know? <laughs> like the dynamic true, is so true. wrong. Yeah, that throws everything off. But I feel like that's one of those like uh, SEO almost decisions, you know? 
that they would do. That's early, early form of SEO. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like that's that's the kind of uh, rubric storytelling that you would have now. Well, well, that's what would happen in like a rom com now. That's what that's like the thing people complain about now. We're like the hot like friend that gets overlooked for like the hot chick that the main dude likes, you know? Yeah, which somehow Vertigo was parodying like 40 years before it ever happened. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, yeah, writing, incredible. And uh, going back to that backstory thing, I read a bit of trivia on the old IMDb after I watched it. The, The reason why he doesn't have a backstory was that the writers were like, we could not think of a possible like good backstory for him, so we just left it out, which is a great decision. I like when that happens. I don't think you need every little piece. You can you can leave puzzle pieces out of the the puzzle, and it's fine. You know, you have enough. Yeah, and they have like one nice joke about that. Like it's not a recurring thing. It's yeah. just like one good Claude Rains line about it. Who, by the way, the real MVP of Casablanca is Claude Rains. Yeah, you yeah. can make a case. Yeah, Claude Rains, I think is. He's one of my favorite actors ever, uh, all time. And I think him in this is just, there's nobody else who could have done Rains that. was the one that kind of, uh, broke my expectations in a really good way. The first time I saw Casablanca when I was like 11 or 12, like I just threw it on thinking it was going to be like this stuffy old movie. Cause I didn't know any better. And then like Claude Rains was just awesome and funny. And it was like, Oh, this movie rules. Yeah. They should call him Claude Rains Supreme. I don't get it. He, uh, well, uh, I'll explain it to you later, but okay. uh, yeah, he, he's call very, in if you understand that. Call in if you got that. Uh, 718-395-9711. We'll play it on a future episode. I, explain I, I the guess. joke in the voicemail. Yeah. Explain the joke to John in the voicemail. Yeah. We'll play it three or four weeks from now when John doesn't even remember it anymore. He'll be so me. mad when yeah, it comes absolutely. in. I'll be like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> yes, please call it. Uh, all right. What else about Casablanca? That's it, right? Yeah. Um, That's all I got. No, uh, I love the fact that a character, well, the main character, thinks about things and figures out how things need to be and then just enacts it. And that's the third act. I like that he just kind of like essentially goes off and figures out what's what's got to happen and doesn't let anybody know and then just enacts that. You know, do you know it, the whole story with the ending and like the different endings and everything? No, they didn't have any idea how it was going to end while they were shooting it. Uh, everybody was going back and forth between whether she was going to end up with Victor or with uh, Rick. And um, it, it really pissed Ingrid Bergman off. But like uh, most people think it's why her performance is so good. She genuinely had to play it in the middle. Hmm. Like she didn't know who she was supposed to be in love with. So uh, they went back and forth and had like a hundred different versions. You know, they had versions where. They all, they both go off together where she stays and just Strauss goes that, or uh, just uh, Laszlo goes. They have versions where um, like a whole bunch of people die, versions where this happens, that happens, everybody bangs, everybody, monkeys come, everything. Monkeys? You know, every different version. So the day of actually filming it, they're uh, on the, this shitty little soundstage with um, a half-size plane and um, little people who were playing the mechanics because it was during the war so they couldn't get a real plane. Hmm. And they had all that fog pumped in there to hide the miniature, which is the only reason it's like a foggy night. And they shot. Wait, wait, wait. They hired little people to stand near a miniature plane. Yeah. yeah. To make it look normal size. They also do, they it do that in, a lot. In, oh, in my Alien, God. In Alien, when they're outside the Nostromo, it's little people in the. Actually, I think in that case, it's Ridley Scott's kids. That's amazing. They faked the hallway by just painting a backdrop for half the hallway and having a bunch of little people walk in front of it. That's incredible. Yeah. 
Welcome to 1930s special effects. <laughs> but um, they, they shot this version of it where, uh, you know, she leaves and uh, he's behind and everything. And then he goes off with um, Claude Rains. And like, they didn't know what the last line was going to be. So neither of their faces are on there. So they, they just dubbed in the last lines after. And they did the, um, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship version. And then they have another version where they're like, making plans to go join the free French garrison. Oh, no. And then an extra scene they were going to shoot where they were like on the deck of a boat about to land with the Allied army in oh. Sicily. And um, That's like the Peter Jackson ending. Yeah. I, yeah. What happened was um, they, they had borrowed... <coughs> a cough. They had borrowed Ingrid Bergman from MGM... It's been a while since I read this story, so I don't know if I'm getting the names right, but they borrowed, I'm pretty sure, Ingrid Bergman from MGM, and Louis B. Meyer saw the movie, the, like, rough cut of it, and he was trying to make Ingrid Bergman a star, so he was thrilled. He was like, you did a great thing for this actress, you know, like, whoever you need from us, you know, take any of them. I think this is a wonderful thing for both of our studios. This is really going to raise our profile. Don't do that ending. <laughs> <laughs> and like he's the reason they're like all right yeah we'll just do the um that's one beautiful friendship thing <laughs> this is the uh, the the head of the opposing studio <laughs> you know they're like Little financial melody. competition was like don't <laughs> <laughs> so wait so it was like there was a lot of like wartime restrictions and stuff going on right restrictions yeah yeah there are a lot of restrictions uh it was Casablanca is like the craziest timing of any movie it was uh approved for production like the week before Pearl Harbor and then um, for pre-production for script writing the week before Pearl Harbor. And it was released the week the allies invaded and successfully took Casablanca. And they say it's like the luckiest thing that's ever happened to any movie yeah. in, in history because every single newspaper that day, every front page and every person on the street was talking about the allies just got Casablanca. <laughs> also, there's this movie <laughs> about the allies getting Casablanca that somehow came out this day, this <laughs> very day. So let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. It had this weird, like eerily good timing. Um, and it's, it's a big part of why the movie really clicked so well, because when it was made, it was that period in 42 where it really looked like the allies were going to lose. Hmm. And that's, I think, like a mood you can't really get back once you leave it. So the uncertainty and the sense of uh, quiet, sort of stoic dread that isn't overplayed and isn't pushed, it's just sort of a, a fact of life, that's real. They did not have a lot of confidence in the Allies winning. Hmm. They thought uh, Europe was gone and Africa was going to be gone and eventually America was going to be gone, but nobody knew how long it was going to take. And when they were shooting it, um, it was during the height of the rationing, which didn't last very long, but lasted just long enough for the production. So they were shooting it on the uh, WB lot. And the trouble with the WB lot was that it looked from above a lot like an aircraft factory. Mm -mm. Um, so they had to they had to have all these like crazy drills and stuff and like blackouts all the time. And they had um, the security was like insane. And it was during the gasoline rationing, too. So everybody walked to work and rode bikes to work. Nobody was driving to the set of Casablanca. You know, Bogart was, like, riding a bike to work. And he got there, and they had these, like, four-hour drills about, like, all right, what if the Japanese uh, start bombing us? What do we do? Mm. And um, the reason Ingrid Bergman's costuming looks so much better than a lot of the other costumes, maybe not better, but more authentic 
than a lot of the other costuming from this time is that everybody else in this time, they had like massive wig budgets for these movies. And the wigs were made, I guess, of nylon or, or something synthetic uh, that the Air Force needed. So they weren't allowed to buy wigs anymore for these movies. Hmm. So Ingrid Bergman has just her natural hair and it's just like a natural hairstyle. And she does like one dress, two dresses, I think, in the whole thing. And um, all the actresses, they had to bring their own nylons to work because the studio did not own any nylon during the period where Casablanca was made. So it's this kind of an environment and all the extras in the movie. If you needed a European in your movie in 41, you were in a shitload of luck because about (laughs) five bajillion European exiles had just arrived in Hollywood having just fled the Nazis. So the entire cast is just stacked with people who had just fled the Nazis, including the Nazis. Major Strausser was like a German Jew right. who had fled Germany like a couple of years before. He had a really crazy story. Him and Yvonne had like these really crazy stories about how they got out of there. They all had stories, but those two in particular were like nuts. It was actually really sad with them because a couple of years later, none of them could find work anymore because once the war ended, nobody was making movies about Europe and Hollywood anymore. But this was like the salad days for them. Uh, so stuff like where they're all singing uh, the French national anthem and drowning out the Nazis, all those tears are real because, you know, this, the war was, it was still acutely happening. Mm. And well, it's kind of interesting because it was a success. So they kept trying to repeat it. So they got, uh, you know, Bogart and Claude Rains together with actually the original actress who was supposed to play Ilsa, uh, this French woman. And they got them together and they tried to do like Passage to Marseille in 44. And in 43, they did like a Casablanca ripoff. And the studio every year kept trying to do it. But nobody, each one was, you know, like diminishing returns. None of them were very successful. None of them made that much money. And I I think it was because none of them were made uh, when we thought we were going to lose. Yeah, you can't fake that. Yeah, I think it was really a, a magic element of the, the film. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of impossible to talk about that movie without talking about, you know, the song, uh, which is... As time goes by. Yeah, which is so central. Not written for Casablanca. Really? It was a minor hit in the 30s, so it was like a nostalgic thing in the it 40s. It was a hit amongst minors? Yes. No. The, kids, like, the kids loved it. It was in some Broadway show in the 30s that like, you know, came and went. Uh, some people saw it. It was, you know, like on the charts for a couple of weeks or whatever. But it was in the play, Everybody Comes to Rick's, because that was written when that song was new. So um, when they got the rights to Casablanca and they got Max Steiner to do the music, he was like, can we please just get rid of this fucking song? I hate <laughs> this song so much. I want to write a new song for it. And he was like begging, 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 begging. And they almost did it. But at the last moment, I think they like just didn't want to spend the money or something. They're like, the song's fine. Thank God. Yeah, the song's fine. And it's kind of a nice little thing for it because if you were in the 40s seeing it, if you saw it in 42 when it came out, it really would be this song that you like kind of remembered hmm. from like a while ago. You know, it, it would have that sort of- Like Party in the USA. Miley Cyrus. No, more like a Miley Cyrus, like B cut, you know, mm. like one that would have gotten on the radio a little bit, but not that much. Maybe like Paper Airplanes <laughs> by Bob, the flat earther. Wait, you know, it'd be that, like if Paper Airplanes came out. Wasn't in the movie. that Mia that did Paper? No, B.O.B. and uh, Eminem and, and the Paramore lady. What am I thinking of? I'm thinking of the, the Mia. 
one. Right? I thought that was also called paper airplanes, but I could paper planes. I think it paper is paper planes. Yeah. So yeah, it would be the Bob one because it's like I probably if I heard that one, I'd be like, yeah, I remember that. Oh kinda. man, paper planes is such a better song. <laughs> paper planes is like the best song. So if you're doing Casablanca now, maybe you'd put paper planes in it. I put monster in it. Oh <laughs> yeah. Nice. Everybody loved Monster so much, but somehow everybody kind of, you know, you don't hear it that much anymore. What about Humphrey all of the Bogart lights? The oh. verse. Sorry, Carl, what'd you say? I said Humphrey Bogart does the Nicky verse. I yeah. watched the shit out of that. <laughs> all of the lights. Actually, no, you know what would be the one from that? Runaway. Okay. Yeah. okay. Runaway would be the, the song. Huh. And people would be like, that was a good move. <laughs> when you put Runaway I, in Casablanca. You would be I like, like to that. imagine it because <laughs> Sam would be just like, one finger, one key on the piano. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wow, you're a great piano player, Sam. <laughs> Carl, god damn it. That's the other line of the night. God damn it. Carl's two for two. This is like when the uh, when the host leaves the talk show for the week and it turns out the guest host's like way better at it. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. It is like that. You know, you're going to start hosting Smug Film, uh, Carl. You're going to take my spot, aren't you? Take it in a dark direction. Where would you go with it? Where would you take know. the show? This uh, is your this is your audition. I'd force everybody to watch uh, those Japanese hamster movies, and then Ham have to talk about those in detail. <laughs> the Japanese hamster movies. Are what are they called? Are you talking guinea pig? <laughs> guinea pig. Oh, the That's guinea it. pig movies. I thought, yeah. I thought you were talking about <laughs> Hamtaro. <laughs> the thing about Japanese movies is, I did believe there was like. <laughs> A series of that would movies be about no- hamsters. That would be the knockoff version of Giddy Pig. <laughs> It'd be the hamster series. Just hamsters eating each other. Remember like when there was like, you know, the big craze with like Takeshi Miike and like the ring and there was all those like shitty like Japanese horror movies that you'd see like in Chinatown, like for like five bucks. And yeah, like Whispering Corridors 3. <laughs> yeah, like all sorts of random weird knockoff shit. Like how now, how now there's like 10 different Ip Man movies. Yeah. Even though there's yeah. only like three. I would expect to see the Hamster series. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be, you know, it would, it would be kind of extreme, but it would be kind of too low budget to really be convincing whatsoever. See, I'm picturing actual hamsters. Committing ultraviolence. Oh, that would be incredible. Let's get back to Casablanca. Okay. Because <laughs> I feel like we're doing it a disservice. All right. So, yeah, Carl, you didn't get the job. Oh, yeah. all right. Sorry. But you can come back on the show a million times. Cool. No. You just can't host the show. <laughs> no. He's going to do the entire can't, month. Of, he's uh, out. Magic. He can't come back? He's out. He, he was doing great. Yeah, he's out. Get someone shittier. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. We, we can't have Get you. Maybe Cal. Is there a Cal? <laughs> I'm sure there's a Cal out there. Is Cal Ripken still still doing things? He would be genuinely shit at this. <laughs> <laughs> He'd keep bringing it back to baseball. <laughs> he would just want to talk about the natural. Yeah. I or, saw the natural. Yeah. Or the rookie. Yeah, the natural was good. Not very realistic, but it was good. Major League That's how Cal two. Ripken talks. Back to the minors. And it'd be like People versus O.J. Simpson, where O.J. just talks about everything in terms of football. It'd be the same kind of thing. Nobody's seen that show yet. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I have. It. You like it, right? Yeah, I think it's great. Is it as good as Casablanca? Nah. Can it's- we seriously get back to talking about Casablanca? That was yes. my segue. Yeah. I was saying that Peter Wally is brutal. great. I was going to say no. We got it. Then if it's not as good as Casablanca, we got to go back to Casablanca. Wait, and he's yes, going to talk about Peter Laurie. Peter Laurie is great. Carl, please. 
Uh, that's that was I was just using that as a segue earlier. He's great. He's Peter Laurie. Take it from the top, though. Do that as like a segue. He's Peter Laurie. Oh. He's great. We get it. We, let's talk about Peter Laurie because it's kind of a misdirection, right? Oh yeah, yeah. like he's yeah. he's barely in it. Yeah, Carl, you're a big Peter Laurie man. <laughs> Am I? Okay. It, well, right. as of you just said earlier. <laughs> All right, we're fucking this up hard. <laughs> Carl, just say yes. just say things about Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre is great. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen the movie in like a while. He's, he's wonderful. He's good. Peter Lorre. Should we try that again fresh? <laughs> All right, so Peter Lorre, not in the movie much. Yeah, kind of a misdirection. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And he's really, really good in the moments that he is in the film, as, you know, Peter Laurie is always good. But, uh, you know, damn good misdirect. I Even would, when I, like, go into it knowing Peter Laurie is not in it that much, I'm surprised at how little he's in it. Yeah, I would put it right up there with the uh, executive decision. Yeah. As far as... He uh, was the Seagal of his day in a lot of ways. <laughs> a, almost always. Yeah. Yeah, Peter Laurie was... Certainly the Steven Seagal of his generation. Rest in peace, Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Peter Laurie, great misdirect. A lot of kind of misdirects in a way, in that like there's that little plot line with, you know, the the casino kids trying to they lose their money and they need to get it back and he gives them the money. There are these little beats that could be their own movie. Like there, there could be like a Peter Lorre movie. There could be a those kids movie, etc. It's like that's what's so great about the side characters in this is that they they feel like they have their own story to tell. Yeah, even though it's not necessarily fully told in this film, which I think that's so important for side characters, like the side characters that really mean a lot to us, like how how Star Wars fans latched onto Boba Fett because they were just like. That's a really interesting, like, looking dude. And what's he doing dragging uh, Han away? And, like, they, they became so obsessed with him. I felt like hardcore Star Wars fans hate him now. Isn't that the new Do thing? Do they? Is that the new thing? I, I think, like, real Star Warsos don't like him. But, yeah, I liked him for similar reasons. Because he had kind of, like, a story going on in the background. He, like, yeah. outfoxed the Millennium Falcon, which nobody else managed to do. Yeah, and there's, like, a lot of that in Casablanca. A lot of people outfoxing the Millennium Falcon, you know? Oh, yeah. Just a lot of little quiet subplots, which are another thing about it that um, the way we make movies now, they're they're discouraged. Hmm. Um, actually, they probably were discouraged then, too. Oh, I'm sure. Um, yeah. There's always this sort of sense of get to the, where's the beef, which is a topical reference. <laughs> <laughs> that famous Peter Lorre line. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, he gets so many good lines in it, though, considering he's only in it for like a minute. Yeah, they're just rapid fire. Yeah. yeah. What what was the line? Were there any like really good lines that you didn't know? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I guess my favorite thing that I didn't know was that great part in the end scene where he, he goes up to the guy and he's like, yeah, she came to my apartment. Like, you know, shit went down. You know, I'm just telling you that. That's exactly how Humphrey Bogart <laughs> talked. That, that's the exact line, right? <laughs> that was the mumblecore version. <laughs> yeah. That's a Mark Duplass Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she came to my apartment, man. Uh, you know, stuff happened. He's in yeah. a button up with the top was, button buttoned up yeah. <laughs> and big sneakers. Yeah. You know, telling you stuff. It's at the Bedford Avenue station. <laughs> but I, I love that as a beat because it's the kind of thing where like somebody who doesn't know better would be like, yeah, do we need that? Let's cut that. 
I think you do need that. I think it's like a good like bro to bro moment. <laughs> I mean, I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? It's like it's like, hey, guy, I'm a guy. You're a guy. Yeah. You know, this girl, you know, it takes the uh, edge off of everybody, including our conscience. Yeah. Yeah. And it has that great little line in it where he's like, uh, for her sake, I let her pretend. Mm. Which is like, there's so much in that line. Yes. Because what he's saying there is we we boned. Yep. It was the bone zone. But like, you can't, you can't say it was the bone zone in a 1942 film. No. <laughs> and now you pro- I would, if I were writing that now, I would yeah. say, just so you know, we went to the bone zone and now she's leaving it. <laughs> And she might re-enter it, but oh, like only with you. Yeah. And that's frankly just less elegant a line. The bone zone goes with you, guy. Yeah. You, I had the bone zone last night, but now you got the bone zone forever. But just in terms of sentence construction, that's just way less elegant. All right. So if we were going to rate Casablanca, what would we give it? You know, four, four five, st- what, I, I'd give it four and a half out of five. That's my review. I think you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> Casablanca does not need, need me to evaluate it. No. Well, what? How do you how do you evaluate movies? What's your what's your amount of uh, stars or points or uh, apples or? I have a complicated system. See, I used to go one through four because that's what Roger Ebert did. Yeah, that's the and he would give like no stars sometimes. Yeah, too. it was yeah it was zero through four actually yeah. zero through few, and then like at a certain point, I guess everybody decided I'm riding with Leonard Malton. Yeah, I'm a five man. So everybody else was like five and I would see something like Casablanca or like Rocky or whatever and be like, that's a four star movie. And people would be like, that's kind of underselling it. And I'll be like, well, no, that's <laughs> that's the end of my scale. Yeah. It only that's goes as long to as four. the pier goes. Yeah. So then I got really into doing like one through a hundred. Ah, well, that's like that's like way precise. One through a hundred. It's like how if you live with Celsius your whole life. And, and somebody who's Fahrenheit tells you there's actually like a difference between 52 and 55. Mm. They won't believe you, <laughs> but there is. Yeah. Those have different feels, 52 and 55, very different temperatures. And, and film years, I'm sure. Yes. 1952 and 1955. And it's the same thing when you start laying these one through a hundred things. You'll be like, well, you know, like 73 is not the same thing as 74. Mm. Like a 73 is probably like, live like a cop, die like a man. And a 74 is probably like Naked Massacre. Okay. I haven't seen either. The trouble with the mid-70s is you have to go for deep cuts. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Carl, how do you evaluate? Yeah. What's your system? I kind of use uh, a five-star, but then also leather grades. And it's kind of, there isn't any Leather grades? You grade the leather? Yeah. You you see the Mad Max ratings are through the roof on that leather. (laughs) Do you grade them like do you just assign like a leather that you think speaks to them? Yeah. Because <laughs> Casablanca's alligator, let me tell you. That is some rich, wow. lush leather. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so leather grades. Leather grades yeah. is usually like music, right? Yeah, it's I mad pitchfork, isn't it? Leather. I guess pitchfork does it that way, don't they? No, pitchfork no, does pitchfork uh, does like points. They oh, oh they do yeah. points. Yeah. Decimals. They do one to ten but decimals. So they're kinda on your similar one to hundred. Yeah, but they AD don't have the courage of their convictions about think is, that's probably where I got it from. But mm. I kind of just bounce AV back club, and forth. Yeah. Oh yeah the A V club does do the letters. Because sometimes like a star rating feels more appropriate than a letter grade for no particular reason. 
Mm. Does it depend on like the nature of the movie? Like do bad movies get one and I've found that the way I operate, I kind of tend if a movie disappoints me, it ends up getting a letter grade. And if I, <laughs> if it exceeds my expectations, it ends up with a star. I don't know why. Is that because it's you want to be like a stern 19th century teacher? I don't know what it is. Well, it's like, when you get like, a gold star in class. Yeah. No, but it's like, if I see something that's like kind of just passable, but like I really enjoy it, it'd be like, oh yeah, that's like a three and a half star movie mm. out of five. But then like, I don't know, Star Wars Force Awakens, I'd be like, yeah, that's like a B minus. Like, See, yeah, I kind of get that. But I, like if something doesn't make any sense, if I'm something's middling for me, I'll do like a, a letter yeah. grade, hmm. you know, like the heat, you know, that's like, yes, yeah, B minus C plus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, I go one to five. Five means I got nothing wrong with it whatsoever. My enjoyment is to the max. So what is your something wrong with Casablanca? Um, you coward. The beginning. That little extra, like that sticks out for me. It's like, I don't like that that beginning. So it's like How near perfect. How would you perfect. begin Casablanca? It would also need to be a, a personal favorite. Let's rewrite Casablanca, you <laughs> son of a bitch. How would you begin it? Well, it's a very difficult to begin movie. I How mean, would you begin it? <laughs> <laughs> you have to How? you have to get across a certain amount of information before you get to the bar. That's clear. Uh how you do that, it's it's Come really on, fucking boy. tough. Let's I, do it. It's I, 1941. All right. The Japanese have just hit Pearl Harbor. You're going into production like spring 42. I'd start at like Star Wars then. I would have an opening crawl and I'll, I would say, you know, that actually at the time would be like starting at like Flash Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> I would throw people even more for a loop. They would wonder if they sat down to a, a cereal. Would you call it episode four? Yeah, I would. Just and open I would, the movie with Rick getting out of a spaceship and then never bring it up again. <laughs> well, I would have it start. I could get away with it starting in the bar if I had an opening text crawl because I could just plot people right you down the bar. You can start it in the bar, though, because then you don't start with any establishing of... Casablanca. I mean, I'd you got to feel that it's. I'd save some a, money. Uh, you got to feel that it's. It would just be called Rick's Place. Yeah, it'd be called Everybody Comes to Rick's. Guess I, what? I would do it as a sitcom in a bar, actually, if I was going to do it. It would be called Rick's Place. Fucking cheers. Yeah, and I would do nine seasons of, of Casablanca. You know, it was a TV show twice. Really? In the 50s and in the 80s. Yeah. That sounds horrible. They were rough. Oof. They were both like prequels where Rick was solving everybody's problems in oh, Casablanca, Jesus. which oh, no. the trouble with that is that's literally what they spend all of Casablanca telling you he doesn't do. <laughs> <laughs> the basic premise of Casablanca is that this is something that never happens. Oh, man. It would be like if you did a sitcom prequel to Armageddon, where like 60 or 70 other asteroids were coming to Earth and they just keep having to retrain... <laughs> uh, miners to blow them up. And then when you go watch Armageddon, it's like a huge deal that they have to train these oil miners to do it. But you just sat through like six seasons of them being like, nah, this is, I mean, this is pretty much day to day here at NASA. It's training people from oil derricks to blow up asteroids. <laughs> so it's not a huge deal now that this team is coming. Right. It just undercuts the entire thrust of the film. Yeah. Or like if you did a prequel to Batman where they were like, nine to 25 other Batman. <laughs> <laughs> it just, just, it just keeps happening every yeah, week. Yeah, it was just like whatever 
like Gotham's whole deal was that they just keep having these Batman guys, which to be honest, now that I'm saying it sounds like a good show, that sounds fantastic. but it really takes the wind out of the sails when you do the movie. Yeah. Each week, a new Batman. I kind of like. Yeah, actually, I got to go. I'm going to work on this. <laughs> okay. Um, also, bringing it back to the, the, the star rating thing. Isn't it all different with like cuisine and like restaurants? Isn't it like like two stars is like good and stuff? You know, yeah, isn't that like a thing? Three stars is the highest you can get on like Michelin. Three stars, I think so. I would spit three stars out. And once somebody gave me a three star (laughs) meal, I'd be like, Get the fuck out of my face, Chef Jacques. Because you're so used to you know, five and four, and be like, I'm not gonna eat your dumpster water. But like a Michelin star is good, you get one star, you're you're happy, you're you're set. Michelin's a big deal because they don't. They don't know that the critics are ever coming. Like Michelin is done in secret. It's yeah. just a guy shows up. They never announce themselves as a Michelin critic. So they're just yeah, any like that Bob's patron. Burgers episode. They don't yeah. walk in like the Michelin man and sit down looking like a giant tubular uh, Ghostbusters looking <laughs> they creature. They should call those awards. Depends then, on how much or they like eat. medals. Like they should have a ceremony. Right. If it's only like a net positive to get one, well, it what should if be we like, like the Star Wars army. Styles. What if we awarded movies like like Michelin Award stars where like, you know, every once in a while, you know, independent of the Oscars or whatever else, just a movie just gets a star, you know, and it's like, fuck you. My star is better than your Oscar. It's like you do it more exclusive. It's more it's like a it's maybe only 10 films ever get it, but they get a special star. We're supposed to be. Is that what it was supposed to be initially? Kind of. I think so. But they give those puppies out left and right. This is like how I feel like they should almost never give a Nobel Prize. Right. There should be years where nobody gets a fucking Nobel Prize. Which I think there are, but like not so much anymore. Hmm. But like sometimes I just be like, nah, nobody was that good at physics this year. There's also too many Nobel Prizes, right? There's like various ones. Well, you know, people do stuff. I'm okay with that aspect of it. But like particularly the Nobel Peace Prize, I feel like sometimes they should be like, we really were just shit at peace <laughs> this year. Yeah. Well, that was so weird when Obama got one like preemptively and they were like, this is a promise for the future and a hope for, you know, and th- like that's the most awkward award to accept How much do you think ever. He must have hated that. Yeah. Just yeah. Be like, all right, well, it's like, it up, yeah, it's very almost like passive aggressive to to give that award to somebody. Yeah, it would be like if they showed up on like his first date and was like, this guy is really great. You should stay with him forever. And then just like planting that seed. Yeah. <laughs> Do we really have this little to say about Casablanca? We have, I Sydney mean, Green Street is great. Sydney Green oh Street, God. fantastic. Oh my God, he's so fucking good. He, um, didn't he, he, this was like only like one of his first movies because didn't he debut in Maltese Falcon? More like Sydney Good so. Street. Like isn't that a big stage actor? I think Sydney Great Street. I feel like I heard that Sydney Sydney Grand Street because he's both great and pretty big. Yeah, that works. So it's like a Grand Avenue of Sydney. Mm. Yeah, Sydney Great Street, amazing. He's uh, he's another character that um, if they hadn't had the tension they did in the script, the way the script went was you had the Epstein brothers who were trying to write it as a comedy. And Howard Koch, who was trying to write it as like a political thriller. And then you also had this commission of the government that was trying to gently nudge Hollywood into propaganda, but in kind of interesting ways, in some ways that were like really bad, but then in other ways that like 
they were really concerned about how the Nazis could knock us for like our failures at civil rights. So whenever like they had a black guy in a script, this government commission was like, could he like not be a waiter? Could he be like a pilot? Which the sad effect of that was a lot of movies just cut all the black characters out entirely. But uh, part of it was that uh, Sam really became, you know, like his own person and not just sort of like a, a prop. Yeah, he's a great character. Yeah. He's got great like looks like he gives wonderful he's such looks. such a good actor yeah. in such a small time. But the effect of that on Sidney Greenstreet is um, he ends up with a lot of sort of complexity because in the one script he's written as sort of almost a MacGuffin, just like a bad guy foil for Rick. And then in the other script, he's like this super funny comic foil. So when you combine them, you get this dude who's like kind of great. He's just like a very poised, honest criminal. I love him in uh, Christmas in Connecticut, too, that came out like a couple years after. Did you ever see that one? No. That one's real good. Uh, he's he's fucking funny as shit in that. He, he plays like a chef, I think. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's been a number of years since I've How seen it. How many Michelin I loved him. stars did he get? Ooh, probably none. I think he was just a personal chef. Real quick, I went to confirm that Sidney Greenstreet was a stage actor, and he was. But this is some crazy shit. He, at 18 years old, made a fortune in Ceylon tea, just planning it, and had like an empire of tea. And then a drought happened, and that forced him out of the tea business. And then he managed a brewery, but he was so bored that he decided to take acting lessons and then was a stage actor and then didn't hit movies till he was 62. Oh, my God. Sidney Greenstreet's the best. Can we get him on the podcast? We got to get him on the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to I'll look for his email address tonight. But yeah. Wow. What, what a fucking life. Yeah. Jesus. Sydney Greenstreet. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. See you soon. And now. Smug Film presents Robot Reenactments. Every day I come by your house and I pick you up. And we go out. We have a few drinks, and a few laughs, and it's great. But you know what the best part of my day is? For about 10 seconds, from when I pull up to the curb and when I get to your door, cause I think, maybe I'll get up there and I'll knock on the door and you won't be there. No goodbye. No see you later. No nothing. You just left. I don't know much, but I know that. This has been a robot reenactment. Now, back to the show. Hello, I am the Hunky Smug Film Sponsor Plug Man. I'm here to tell you about the fine people who support the Smug Film Podcast through Patreon. You all should check out Bobby Slow on Twitter, he's a very funny and good man who tweets funny and good things and is worthy of your love. And he has a really good Twitter ratio of followers to following. That's impressive. Once again, that's Bobby, slow, on Twitter. You should also check out Minor Key Games. Go on over to MinorKeyGames.com and check out these awesome computer games made by David and Kyle Pittman. Two brothers that make great video games with an old school feel. Cody hates new video games for the most part, but he enjoys the heck out of these. Once again, that's MinorKeyGames.com. Also, be sure to check out Room Full of Spoons, Rick Harper's documentary about the cult classic film The Room. It's a great documentary that we all love here at Smug Film, and go to roomfullofspoons.com to find out when it's coming to your city. Thank you for listening to my hunky voice, and thank you all who have donated to the show. 
And if you would like to be plugged on the show, please head on over to patreon.com slash smugfilm and donate. Hello. I am the new smugfilm voicemail plug lady. I'm sexier, better, and lovelier in every way. Anyway, please leave a question or a comment for the Smug Film Podcast at 718-395-9711, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening to my beautiful voice. And now, back to the show. And we are back. Welcome back, everybody. And we're going to talk more about Casablanca. We're not going to do some uh, voicemails. We're just going to keep talking about the Blancs, the uh, the Matt LeBlancs. We should go into Matt LeBlanc now that we've 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 covered. Do you know who played Major Strausser? By the way, did you pick up on it? Either of you, Matt LeBlanc? No. He is uh, Dr. Caligari. Mm. What? Get yeah. the hell out of here. What the fuck? Yeah, put that Holy in your shit. fucking pipe. Actually, I think he's the sleeper in Dr. Caligari. Because Werner Krauss, who was a Nazi, is actually Dr. Caligari. <laughs> but old Conrad Veidt, yeah, he's uh, the oh, tortured lead shit. in Dr. Caligari. Hmm. The cast is super interesting. Um, somebody should do a Where Are They Now VH1 special. <laughs> I mean, the answer is the grave for everybody. But like before they got there, it was kind of interesting. Like uh, the one who plays Yvonne, who's Rick's girlfriend that he uh, kind of kicks to the curb. Oh, yeah. She actually fled Europe through the Casablanca Lisbon route. Oh, shit. So she like did the movie. That was that was her thing. And then the um, the guy who um, is married to the woman who um, he lets win at roulette. The guy who's playing and is trying to get the the money. Yeah. He was in a concentration camp for six months and escaped. Fuck. So like when I say they really lived the whole thing. God damn. Like they they were there. Those dudes went for it. The great thing too about this movie is that the more you learn about it, the more you enjoy it, it feels like. And I I, I even think the more I see it, I'll probably enjoy it as well. Um, you know, in the beginning, yeah, you'll lose your idiotic four and a half star. Uh, maybe I'm not good yeah. enough for kissing. The beginning's gonna <laughs> fucking loser. That shit. was a hell of a vocal impersonation, by the way. You it's want, exactly what he sounds like you when, do the, that again? when the microphones aren't on. Yeah, I want to be yeah. very clear about that. That's Cody's real voice. Let them hear that clearly. Do that again. Uh, I'm Cody. I don't like this movie very much. Yeah, see, that was that's spot on. Oh, uh, I gave up on this one 15 minutes in. I grow weary. <laughs> That's him. That's I'm always, what he yeah, I'm like. always growing weary of things. Such yeah. a piece of shit, this dude. <laughs> How many wearies have you grown in your lifetime? Oh, I, I five, six. Is it's that a that lot? Much. Is that not much? I thought that was a lot. But yeah, I, I feel like more I see it, the more simple whatever bullshit, like the beginning, like it's not going to bug me. It's, How would you begin it? Let's go. Come on. Oh my God, this again. How would you begin it, Carl? Because he can't do it. Uh, well, I mean, you got to set up Casablanca as a city. Does does Rick witness that shooting at the beginning of the movie? I don't remember. No, he doesn't. When I'd you say, say I'd Rick, have him he's, witness something. He's, yeah. he's signing the uh, Declaration of Independence. Tab. Yes, the Declaration. He's signing. I guess okay, they Rick. don't have him witnessing because he is just another guy with a story in Casablanca, like everybody else in that movie. So it would make sense that he wouldn't be present in the opening scene. You know, it'd be a nice way to do it that they didn't do it. This way, and 
This is some incredible syntax. Well, what I was going to say, here's what I was going to say. I'm going to let you guys in on the story behind the story. Okay. The sentence I was going to say is... The story behind the sentence. What would be a good way to do it that they didn't do it this way because Michael Curtiz didn't really shoot like this a lot. And then I had like a vision of the Seahawk and like all the times he did this. Mm -hmm. But what I was going to say is it should begin with like a long pull back through Casablanca. Okay. Like the dude gets shot, and then you just keep pulling back oh. to Rick's. You know, Maybe. almost like a smaller version. You don't want to make it too big because you know you don't want to be very flashy. Yeah, this is not that kind of movie. But like you know, you just sort of weave through the streets a little. Maybe a little bit of that uh, that bazaar that they're in in the middle of the movie. Mm. You know, where he tells her she's being cheated on the cloth. You know, you just pull through that stuff a little bit and come in through the door of Rick's. That's a way to do it. To uh, him signing that check. And then you start it all normal from there. Just a little bit of, you know, like, so it's not so staccato. Right. It's a very staccato opening. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't need to be. Maybe it needs to be a little more lento. You know what uh, took me by surprise was uh, how emotional the movie was to watch. Uh, The romance, like, it, it really works. And I wasn't prepared for it to work that much. What the hell did you think people were doing when they were know. watching it? I don't know. This is like the other thing, like people who've never seen Casablanca before. I don't know that you did this, but I know a lot of people who like assume it's going to be like two and a half hours long. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why is that? It's like 90 minutes. I think there should be a tax on if you have a movie longer than Casablanca, because <laughs> there's no way you have more information than Casablanca has. Oh, yeah. It's just not possible. No. Like if Casablanca and Terminator 1 can come in under two hours, you don't, you're not telling more information than they are. Right. But there is this weird phenomenon where I think because it's such like a beloved movie where people like expect it to be super long. And boring and dated. It's not fucking dated. But the reason it's so beloved is because it's super fast. Yeah. It's not a slog whatsoever. I didn't fall asleep. Why are people always afraid of falling asleep, by the way? Like when people like avoid watching like old movies, they're like, oh, they put me to sleep. Sleeping's great. First of all, <laughs> uh, you shouldn't have. Avo- there was something out there that just put me to sleep no matter <laughs> yes, what. Exactly. Like first, please. First thing I do every night. Yeah. yeah most be- people, you know. I have a recommendation. The Smug Film Podcast will oh, put shit. you to sleep. Oof. So oh, delightful. God. He just roasted us. Shots fired. <laughs> Cut his mic. God damn. <laughs> you, you know, you let a guy on, onto your show. And we were just talking about how great going to sleep is. Oh, yeah. Well, that's true. You know what else? Maybe a certain somebody's Mad Max video. Maybe oh. that'll put people to sleep. Oh, Jesus. Fucking coming at you. Brutality. Oh, not true. That's a great video. Everybody should watch it. Yeah, we should. It's uh, called Carl Likes cute. Mad great Max. We should plug Carl's stuff. Carl, you've been doing videos for Smog Film lately. Yeah. You did I'm, one on Labor Day. You did one on Mad Max. You, each each month, you're going from a bad movie to a good movie. Explain yeah. it for the folks at home. Uh, so I'm doing two concurring video series every other month. They're alternating. First one's on bad movies. It's called Why? A Question for Bad Movies. Because we take the time to actually ask the question why and try to examine what made the movie bad. And by we, you mean you. Yeah, the royal Super movie. even-handed. No, I'm very. making efforts to like find what's good about it and what tried to be good, and like because nobody is like I'm going to make a shitty movie. Like there, there's an intent there for something good somewhere. I'm way late on the next one because March was just real like fucked up busy month for me. So I'm trying to trying to get the next one finished. They got hooked on meth in March. Yeah. Story yeah. behind the story. Not a lot of people know. Yeah. 
March of Meth. March Methness. And then the other series is Damn Good Picture, which is more like looking at specific like aspects of good movies. Maybe I'll that that one's a bit looser because it could be I could do an episode on a, one movie. I could do an episode on a single aspect of one movie. I could do an episode on like an entire range of movies. Yeah, the world, of, the world's your oyster. Do you have yeah, your next the episodes picked out? Uh, the next bad movies is going to be Amazing Spider-Man Two. Ooh, which part that, of that? That's is one people really hate. Yeah, part of it is I'm grappling with the fact that I think it's like really disingenuous to hate on a movie for being a product or having marketing designs behind it. But like that movie is so completely sullied by those decisions that it's kind of hard to just be like, well, th- these are the reasons the movie sucks, though. Hmm. Did you um, know Spider-Man toys sell twice as much as Batman toys every year? I had really? no idea about this. That's awesome. Spider-Man's the only one to uh, make over a billion in licensing every year. Jesus. Spider-Man's got like a bigger kid appeal, too. Yeah. Part of why Kids I are a little fascist. The I thought they all liked Batman. Spider-Man fucking murders a guy in this one. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll cover it in the video. You'll see the details. But he just fucking straight up cold murders. That's it's not what I expected from up. that film. Yeah. I'm looking forward next, to that one. The next episode of Damn Good Picture is going to be on Wolf of Wall Street. Specifically, this whole weird attitude that, like, it was somehow not clear enough that Jordan Belford is kind of a bad uh, guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm way with like, you on that. Yeah. What is that? What is that enough exactly? Like, who are these unwashed masses that can't pick up on what you can? Like, I think that's just really disingenuous. And then I'm looking forward to that one. Also yeah. talk about how great it is. I got a good anecdote about the time I met Thelma Shoemaker regarding that movie, Ooh. which will also be a good segue into Ooh. the episode I want to do after that. So also shout out to trailer park boys season 10 on Netflix for the part where Ricky calls Wolf of wall street nightmare on Wolf street. <laughs> <laughs> great. So yeah, please check out labor day and Mad Max on the Smug Film website. Watch Carl's videos. Good, good, good uh, stuff. <laughs> okay, so Carl, if you were going to change a thing in Casablanca, because I think the trouble with Casablanca is like, I can sit here and tell stories about it all day, but basically like, it's basically perfect, right, everybody? Yeah, but like much. It's okay. If you were going to change a thing about it, what would you do differently? I'd kind of like to know what happens to Claude Rains, but at the same time, I don't want to know what happens to Claude Rains. Well, I like that mystery. What if he's the son of Claude Rains in The Invisible Man? Oh, Ooh. shit. Mm. Yeah, and it's actually a ghost sequel to The Invisible Man. Yeah. Oh, Claude Rains is so fucking good in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's, he's the best because he's like exactly like Adolf Manjou, only not a rat. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because like I love Adolf Manjou, but like when I see him, I'm like, I fucking hate you. Yeah. You fucking rat. You ratted out Charlie Chaplin and made him flee the country. But then when I see Claude Rains, I'm like, you're a lot like this dude, but you didn't rat out Charlie Chaplin. Sup? That's a poppy chulo. Important, important difference. Yeah. Yeah. So you would uh, you would dive a little more into Claude Rains? You'd, you'd make it a little more Claude Rains' movie? I'd give him, you know, it would be like one more line of dialogue to kind of hint at his future. But, like, even that might be too much, you know? Mm. I do I love the mystery you leave him off on. Like, is he going to get screwed over or not? Cody, what am fucking I gonna, four and a half stars over What here. am I going to change? Why do I keep having to change Casablanca? You got half a star to make up for. Yeah, what would you do All in right. the beginning? Um, yeah, I mean, it's really only the beginning. I wouldn't change anything else other than the beginning. But I don't know necessarily what I would change the beginning to. Um, Go for it. Dive no, in. 
in my gut, I would want to just start it off in the bar, but I know I can't. But I want to so badly. Well, maybe you could. It would just mean you'd have to kind of, there'd have to be another way to show maybe, the city. Maybe people talking in the bar and giving a little expository as you go through the bar. Like maybe you catch a little bit of what people are talking about and then you get to Rick. I don't know. That could be a way to do it. But that might be too complex a uh, a, a move for that time period, you know? No, I mean... Because I'm imagining like... This was like, the year after, after Citizen Kane, right? Yeah, I guess he could do it. Kane was 41, right? Mm. I would do what Haxel Wexler... That's his name, right? Yes. Yep. Haskell. Sometimes I say his name and I'm like, that can't be a name. I think it's Haskell Wexler. What do they call him? Haxel Wexler? <laughs> yeah. Haxel. We had one too many X. That, the trouble Wexler. with that name is it's just like way too catchy. Oh, yeah. But I would do what he uh, said once, which is that the only problem with Casablanca is the um, the lighting in Rick's bar is Ooh. like a little too flat. Yeah. Like Curtis does his cool stuff with some shadows in the background and everything, but I don't think he goes far enough with it. Yeah. And you get the idea of not going far enough in it because it's the desert and everything. But at night, I would uh, I'd really make those dark spots pop in the bar a little more. Not to he the makes- extent... Sorry? Go ahead. No. I was going to say, he makes up for it with that Mildred Pierce lighting, though. Like, holy shit. Oh, yeah. Fucking oh, yeah. A, yeah. But uh, not to the extent of something like uh, Blue Angel or something where it's all, you know, super dingy, uh, high contrast lighting. But I would just, I think, put a little more a little more darkness into Rick's. Well, the lighting in his bedroom is so great. Oh, my God. And, uh... Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. And the lighting at the end. I mean, yeah. Everywhere else. It kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. It's slightly. I could see that, yeah. It's a little sitcom-y mm. lighting in there, you know? Yeah. It's a little laugh track. Yeah. Which was actually something they um, they talked about on the production. That at some point, how Wallace, who was the producer, sent a note to Michael Curtis and was like, let's let's do that. And apparently Curtis was like, nah, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. But mm. I'm with Hal Wallace on it. Yeah. Make it a, just a little... A little darker in that bar. It's really all I got, to be honest. You know, I wonder if there are people listening right now who maybe are like me and have never seen Casablanca. And uh, I fucking hate you. That's <laughs> not true. But like, if you're running like a film criticism site, I'm just, I want you to know I'm staring Cody <laughs> right in the eyes right now. If you're a filmmaker or you're yeah. running a film criticism, or even if you're just talking to your friends from a position of authority about movies and you're like, yeah, I'm a movie guy and you haven't seen it. I really do fucking hate you. There were a period of maybe three weeks there where I hated you. <laughs> For the record, I didn't see Stagecoach until like a week ago. I mean, I love Stagecoach to death and I, I think everybody should watch it, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's just not. Even though uh, Stagecoach was the movie that Orson Welles used to learn how to make a movie when he was making Citizen Kane. He screened it with uh, the head's the production heads of every department. And he was like, how'd they do this? How'd they do this? Let's do that. Let's take this. So if you haven't seen Stagecoach, you're kind of like a garbage man. I haven't seen Stagecoach. <laughs> garbage men make a lot of money. Do they? Yeah, they good benefits. Yeah. They, they make makes me good happy. Sp- I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah. What should be my next uh, film I haven't seen that I should see then? I mean, I guess Probably Stagecoach. Stagecoach yeah. yeah. I mean, I've seen yeah, Citizen Kane. I haven't seen it sooner. It's awesome. Carl, do you know Cody's whole Hitchcock? Hitch, Hitchcock. I'm gonna take that I don't again. Think so. I'm gonna take that again. <laughs> Noted director Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. 
Alfred Kinnish. Wasn't he mayor? <laughs> All right, I'm going to take that again. Ready? Ready? His honor, Alfred Shishkush. <laughs> Carl, do you know Cody's whole uh, Hitchcock thing? No. He, like, doesn't no. like Hitchcock and makes, like, a whole big thing about how he doesn't like Hitchcock because he didn't like the birds. I know, right? <laughs> but then he saw The Trouble with Harry the other day, and Cody, what did you think of The Trouble with Harry? It's fantastic. Very good movie. That's the fucking one that turns you <laughs> That's a fun movie, but like, come on, man. It's a great movie. I like it second to uh, Psycho. It's like you don't like pie and then someone serves you mincemeat and you're like, shit, I love all pie. <laughs> like, it's fine. It's fine for what it oh is, but God. like, come on. <laughs> well, first of all, that movie is fucking gorgeous and the Blu-ray of it is insane. I haven't seen a Technicolor Blu-ray that good looking Ever. It's, That's because people really care about Hitchcock movies. I don't know if you know that. Apparently. But like in general, yeah. people are like, yeah, people these are, are the ones to preserve. Like a reason for that. Yeah, people are into Hitchcock. But yeah, I would put that after Psycho. What I've, are the Hitchcocks you've seen? I've seen Psycho. I've seen Rear Window. I've seen Trouble with Harry. Obviously, I've seen Vertigo. I've seen... Now, now I'm just going to forget ones that I have seen, but I... Uh, North by Northwest. So you've only seen like the Technicolor 50s era? yeah. Yeah. You haven't seen any of the like what, British films. What or, should I watch? Strangers on a uh, Train? Yeah, Strangers on a Train is dope. Yeah. All right, I'll watch that one. Maybe, uh, Carl, where are you at on Shadow of a Doubt? Oh, fucking Shadow of a Doubt is awesome. That's a great one. Are you a Joseph Cotton fan, Cody? Yes, yes Hell I Hell yeah. I know you are. I don't even have to worry about you. I'm asking about this fucking <laughs> idiot over here. You like Joseph Cotton, right, Cody? Yeah. Shadow of a Doubt then, right? Shadow of a Doubt? Yeah. Shadow All right, of a Doubt. Shadow of a Doubt. One of the few movies with a lot of Hoboken in it. Hmm. Back before Hoboken was nice. Begins on the ugly docks of Hoboken. Interesting. Yeah, I'll watch uh, Shadow of Doubt and Stagecoach. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll all come back here and uh, yell at me some more. And I'll share watch, my thoughts. Watch like, watch Topaz or Undercarriage. I've like, seen, some I've actually seen family Topaz. Hitchcock and I bet you'll love it given your I've history. seen Topaz, it's horrible. Oh, uh, Topaz sucks. Mm. You know which one is the dope, though? Even though everybody knows it. Frenzy. Frenzy's fucking dope. Frenzy rules. Hmm. Frenzy's hardcore. Man. Might have to see Frenzy. But uh, the, the one thing I do like in Topaz, though, there's a part where she, like, it, it's near the beginning, and she's, like, pushed into a car, and she, like, skins her knees, if I remember. And I like the fact that you see skin knees in a film. You don't really see that. Yeah. Hitchcock was really good at that kind of like small yeah, it's obstacle. Such a tiny That's detail. I think the Hitchcock touches like small obstacles like that. Yeah, because if you're being dragged into a car, maybe you'll skin your knee. And that's a perfectly, you know, good thing to put in a movie. My favorite part of Topaz is when she gets put into the car and she's like, oh no, Paz. And then they're trying to get information out of her and she's like, I don't even know Paz. <laughs> that is a good part. <laughs> that holds up better than the other parts in the film. What'd you say, Carl? Paz de la Huerta is the MacGuffin of that movie, so it's like, I don't know, Paz. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so Casablanca, final thoughts? Any, any? Peter Lorre's great. Yeah, <laughs> Peter Lorre. Ugarty. Peter Lorre's great. I think there is something really fascinating about its legacy, though, which is that it's so beloved. And it's, I mean, I've seen Casablanca maybe every year of my life. This is both my parents' favorite movie, so every year the family watches Casablanca. It's like a big yearly, the Casablanca thing. Um, so this is a movie that I was never like intimidated by, but it has this weird thing where like people have this expectation of it that I think is just not what the film is. Mm-hmm. 
It's a very bright, very funny. I mean, the script is every fucking line of that script is the best line of somebody's career. And it's romantic in a way that movies usually don't go when they go romantic. You know, it's rom- so? it's romantic in a way where like uh, I think you were saying when we when we first realized that Cody hadn't seen Casablanca, uh, you were talking about the fact that, you know, there's some things more important than love and romance. and all Oh, that. Yeah. 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 That's a very important thing about it. That's really the key feature of it being a wartime movie and particularly a losing wartime movie. I mean, the, the sacrifice of it, I don't think anybody would do now. No, I don't think you would make a movie now where people were that in love and they said, nah, fuck it. It's really not as important as the Nazis not killing everybody. Yeah. Uh, But you had to then because it really was realistically the situation. But that was another thing that now if if you did that, you would get so many notes from the producers being like, can we make this more (laughs) pro-love? Make this more of a love thing? Also, there'd be a remix of As Time Goes By in the end. Mm, Yeah. Well, that could be good. That could be good. Like an LL Cool J version? If it's LL, I would... Yeah. I'm imagining like Deep Blue Sea credits. Deepest Blue, my hat is like a shark's fin. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, so in conclusion, Deep Blue Sea, wonderful film. Please check it out if you haven't seen it Magnificent example of the miracle of studio Hollywood. Movie making at its peak. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people who said when the studio system collapsed, that was really a great thing for cinema. But when the studio system was there in 42... You got movies like Deep Blue Sea. That's right. LL Cool J's secret omelet recipe in that movie. Which I use. I still use that (laughs) recipe. His whole thing about not using milk for density. I I took that to heart. (laughs) Two eggs, not three. Mm. Some people use milk for density. That's a mistake. (laughs) All right, folks. Carl, thank you for being on the show. Welcome. Open invitation. Come back. Okay. Please just keep coming. Yeah, I'm just gonna like hack my way into your Skype call. Yeah, we'll be yeah, exactly. We'll be recording an episode. All of a sudden they'll hear the like the boop boop of the sp- this that was my impression of the Skype call, by the way. Boop boop. Actually it wasn't bad. I got that. Yeah. Yes. Boop boop. So yeah, we'll hear that and we'll 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 send you in and you'll talk. The slow takeover where like boop, eventually boop. he's running this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he never goes by Carl. Just I'm Cody. Oh, it's me, Clark. Cody Clark. Yeah, yeah. So guys, this is me. Boop, boop. All right. See y'all. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.